do teams in Major League Baseball actually need to rebuild? Jonesy's here, and we're going to discuss that in a ton more. This is Flashing the Leather. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the next installment of Flashing the Leather. This is the Iceman Matt Freights. That is Jonesy back in the studio to talk some baseball. We are part of the Matty Ice Media Network. We are part of INC Sports, and it's exciting. The last time we were here, it was May. The season was young, but it is the first day of summer as we are recording this episode. And I couldn't be more excited to have you back in the studio, my man, to talk about some things. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be back in here. I'm glad to have you back in here. It's always great for me, just a little aside for for the audience. It's always great for me to have people up here because it's like a way to share my passions with other people. Yeah. And I said last time that not a lot of people get to do this. And so it's fun to be able to have somebody in here who would dream or never dream about doing something like this. And last time we were very successful. I feel like it was a great launch, a good debut episode. And a lot of people enjoyed it. I know you got to share it with some friends and family who gave you a lot of props. And I'm here to tell you that the audience wants you, you want him to talk about baseball. So that's what we're here to do. Are you prepared to do so? I totally agree. It is fun and it's not something everybody does. And it's not something that I'd ever dream of doing. And I, I am definitely happy to be here right now. It is, it is fun. So you have some personal news, I guess, right? About in the baseball world, your son has taken on a new venture. One of the things we love to do here Let's talk about family. So Coach, my co-host on Iceman and Coach, he's been coaching under eight softball and having a great time bonding with his daughter over it. So I would love for you to tell the audience and the listeners all about what you got going on with your son, because I know you're excited, even though it's a lot. Yeah. So you must have known that my son is in an 8U travel competitive baseball league. He's competed in two tournaments. The past two weekends have completely evaporated as a result of traveling to see doubleheaders two days in a row, Saturday, Sunday, four games total each day. And um, they did well, I, I think. They actually are a pretty young team, and they played competition that's definitely tighter, a little bit older, maybe a year older, playing together longer. And they kind of kept up with them. They were tough games, didn't end, you know, they didn't win anything, but it was a great experience, and it was a lot of baseball. And what else can you ask for? Your son's up there making great line drives, making great plays, and bonding as a team. It was it was fun. I'm really happy to hear that because my son is not yet old enough to experience that kind of thing. But I played Little League growing up. I'm sure you did as well. And sometimes those are the indelible moments that we have with our parents. And I said that to coach last time, too, that like when our kids are older, hopefully they'll be pulling from memories like that. And they don't have to win those games for them to be memorable. It's the fact that you're there sharing in that experience with them. And I love that stuff. I really do. But I want to ask you, does it give you a better appreciation for how much travel these guys do in the minor leagues and major leagues with all the travel you're doing for this team. I mean, I think it's an undersold portion of being a professional baseball player. 100%. Yeah. I think you asked me at the end of the last episode, where the top tough things? And one of those tough things is um, an appreciation for the travel that goes into uh, these teams, especially in the minor league, like you mentioned, you're, you might be on a bus for hours and hours and hours. And I remember even playing in high school, just traveling to a high school game on a Friday night, and it would be a two and a half hour drive. 
And, and that's when I lived in Mississippi. So you're in, and you're, you're just surrounded and there's nothing around. You're just going in a straight road for two and a half hours and it's just daunting. But yeah, there, there's a huge aspect of travel in this game. And just for me this weekend, we traveled uh, about an hour and a half was to Winchester was our, was our longest drive. And that felt a little bit long too. And it's uh, some, some of the families and coaches um, actually stayed overnight in a hotel. We decided to drive back, but um yeah, there's a, there, that's a part of it. And what do you eat? Your diet? How are you going to, you know, how are you going to get ready? Wake up early? All of that. Trust me, you just turned 40, I believe. <laughs> I turned 40 as well. The diet part of your life is like the hardest thing. No matter what I do, I can't seem to take as much weight off as I would like. And it seems like life is always throwing these things at you, which I think is a testament to how a lot of these specifically minor league players stay in shape to play baseball as 162 times a year. They're on the road. We all know that they're not making nearly as much as these major league players are. And so it's a testament to them. I think that you have to go through this. I have yet to go through this. But travel teams in general, any parent out there, we just had Father's Day who is traveling with their kid every single weekend. Kudos to you because you deserve it. So I asked at the top of the show about rebuilding. It's something you and I have talked about. And I believe rebuild is a trigger word for your father, is it not? Yeah, I actually had a conversation with my dad about rebuilding, and he had some opinions about it, and so did I. They were different, uh, but it kind of opened my mind a little bit about what, is there such thing as a rebuild? Should there be such thing as a rebuild for a Major League Baseball team? Uh, and and the phrase that stuck in my mind is what he said, uh, how are you going to tell your boss that, hey, this year is not going to be our year, we're not going to do it this year, um, this is a rebuilding year directly to your boss. Uh, might not fly too well for most of us out there. Not in our professional lives, but when a rebuilding year still adds or, or I guess makes them richer, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? And I, I wonder though, I want to ask you a fundamental question. Do you think that the idea of a rebuild sticks in different people's minds differently based off of the team that they root for or the franchise that they root for? Because I would assume that if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, for instance, that you've heard this term so many times and we've been rebuilding, rebuilding yeah. always to next year. But as a Phillies fan, you rarely do that. Yeah. Or at least it seems that way. There, so are, you... there are some teams that are seem to be um, just constantly good. And, that's, and that goes back to uh, who your ownership is, who your coaches are. It's it's a total package, but you really it starts with the with the leadership of the team and and going forth and like the Cardinals, they don't. This is the first year that I've really seen them this bad. They are always good, and uh, the Yankees do seem to seem to be in there. The Phillies, the Dodgers, um, and even some of the smaller market teams sent, tend to compete, um, but. You know, I do agree that there is something about a rebuilding year for for some of these teams. You've got to have the stars aligning on contracts, making sure your new talent comes up at the right time, making sure they're ready, not coming up too soon, properly developed. Um, or you can splash into the free agent market and spend that big dollar. Um, but then you don't want to waste your your free agency spending uh, when your team cohesively is not ready to accept that free agent for that big dollar splash. Yeah, free agency has been a blessing and a curse. It's been a blessing for the players, obviously, because they can go anywhere and get the maximum amount of money that they should, right? And I think in some ways it's a curse for teams because you're taking a risk. Just because a guy is a lot of talent doesn't necessarily mean he's going to gel with the people that are on the team currently. 
And we've seen that in every single sport. Baseball is not immune to this and no other sport is immune to it. But in baseball specifically, these guys who come on the team, I'm thinking superstars, right? They come from a situation that maybe they're playing for a small market team and now you're inserting them with a big contract, big dollars, big expectations to a larger market club that is looking to win. And that's where you see a lot of guys going to New York and failing because the expectations are higher, the market is way different. And when you have that contract, when you get paid, it's great for you, but maybe it's not great for your mental sanity because now you're inserting yourself in this other position. Or (laughs) the opposite of that is you're on a small market club and you're the highest paid guy. So now you are the face of all this failure. Even though you yourself are producing, it's difficult for you to say, well, I'm doing my job because the team stinks. Yeah, you're kind of ringing a couple bells right there. That that sounds a lot like, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, where the Texas Rangers acquired Corey Seager. It was a big splash signing for them. He was coming off of a very good year with the Dodgers, and Texas didn't really have a lot going on for themselves at that time. And Corey Seager, when he came, didn't make much of a difference uh, at all on that team. But um, the Texas Rangers this year are incredible. I, I don't think that um, we would have said that they were uh, going to be a below average team. They're a pretty good average team, but they're they're killing it this year and they're a fun team to watch. And and, and Corey Seager still doesn't seem to be a big part of that equation. And uh, Jacob deGrom wasn't either. And that's, and that's part of that risk part that you were talking about. So he's got TJ surgery and he's uh, not going to be able to help them win this year. Which I broke the news to you, I believe, via text <laughs> <Yes>. message because <laughs> I did. I posed a question to you that we'll have to discuss at length at some other time, but whether he was one of the greatest what-ifs in baseball history. And you're like, yeah, you know, he's blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, he's having TJ surgery. And you're like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Because you said, like, he's really helping them win and they're a fun team. And I'm like, well, that's over. And he has had so many of those. But I want to ask you also, with these franchises that sustain success. I think obviously take out the teams that have a lot of money, disposable income. From what I understand in baseball, the way that marketing works and the way that these markets work in terms of their ad revenue and all that, small market clubs can't really fail when they take these risks. They have to hit a home run if they give out a contract like this. And if they don't, they have to reset. Whereas the Dodgers and the Yankees, the Red Sox even to an extent, can make these signings. They don't work out 100% and you kind of clear the way for, you maybe have a couple bad seasons, but then you can get right back in it because you have that cash flow coming in. The next guy. Yes. Yeah, the next guy. Exactly. Exactly. Or you can become a seller. You can try to sell the player um, and try to acquire a couple draft picks for him, something to a team that's buying. And the Mets come to mind. Um, the Mets are kind of an interesting team this year because, man, they did spend all that money this year. You talk about taking a risk in free agency. Uh, Justin Verlander is the guy that I'm thinking about right now. Um, they, It's kind of sad to say that they might be sellers. And I, I mean, yes, they could, could they be buyers? Yes, they could. And they have, they actually have some young guys in their, in their uh, club that they can actually give. But um, even though we look at the Mets and we see a lot of age, um, older players, veterans on that team, they actually do have a nice young core that is pretty valuable for their future sustainability. Um, You may not want to completely just if I'm a Mets fan, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, do I want to be a buyer? I don't think I want to mortgage the farm uh, to try to to try to win a championship this year in an already pretty crowded NL East. 
um, and just and kind of a crowded NL. There's opportunities for wildcard there, but not many. There's three extra spots. And right now the NL West looks to be chomping at the bit on that one. They are all looking good over on the West Coast. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. But this is where that sustainability factor comes in because you can go out and spend in free agency. But we saw the Yankees, what, maybe like 10, 12 years ago where they were big spenders, big spenders, and then their core was old. So now they had to they had to replenish all of the ranks. And again, it's easier to do that when you can get younger and then get some of these free agents to sort of fill the gaps. But if you don't have that sustainability factor and that cash flow, you need to make sure you're hitting home runs, not just in free agents, but with these prospects too. And so few teams get it right consistently. And it's a lot of the same clubs. And if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they're the outlier in this. We talked about this last time. And that's a front office mentality. But my question is, is why doesn't every front office think this way? Because there's, what, 32 teams in the league? How many of them are genuinely trying to win as much as possible by doing it the right way? And is it a front office mentality of making money? Or is it, I have this cushion of being able to spend money? I think the front office element of it is not thought of nearly as highly as it should be as it comes to the success of these franchises. The weird part about this year is how some of these teams that are winning right now and it's been really a roller coaster of a year. Uh, the teams that are winning right now are very, very young. Um, the Braves, okay, shocker. They're a good team, not a surprise, but they actually have a lot of young talent. They're going to be around for a long time. Their ace is Spencer Strider. He just came on the scene last year. Most of their young rotation is under the age of 24. Acuna is still actually pretty young, even though he's been in the, in the league for a while. Um, and is he under is he under thirty? Oh yeah, I think he's under twenty four. Okay, I thought I thought so. It doesn't seem like it though, does it? No, but they have done something remarkable in that they have also had all this young talent, but they have not had to spend a lot to keep them there either. They've been sort of proactive in keeping them there at a young age, but it's not at the detriment of them making money, right? Like it it is in in the grander sense, but a guy like Acuna is probably going to hit the market at some point and make a, a ton of money, but they tried to get them early before that control is lost and they hit arbitration, which is the, the natural point where people want to get in. So the Braves, that front office mentality of, wow, we have a ton of guys that we hit on. Like the amount of prospects that they either traded for and also got lucky with or hit on because they drafted that have all come up into the majors. They just won a World Series, what, two seasons ago? And they're definitely one of the favorites in the NL this year. And they will be for years to come. The other, the other point about the Braves is uh, they've taken their young talent and they've taken a different kind of risk and signed the younger player to a smaller team-friendly contract while the, before they hit arbitration. They hit that extension and they locked that player up for uh, a period of time. They did that with Albies, Ozzy Albies, their second baseman. They did it recently with Austin Riley, their third baseman. Um, and... Uh, the, the other one escapes me, but they're signing these guys to a couple, you know, five years, $80 million contract, something like that. That's a lot of money for them, but they're not like doing that Aaron Judge signing where they're waiting till they're in their late 20s. They have this body of work behind them and Aaron Judge can command that dollar. But it, even even Judge was risky before Judge had his career year last year, 62 home runs. People were saying I was I was one of them thinking it. Um, why do I want to sign an injury-prone guy that is turning 30 next year and he 
can play the outfield sometimes. Well, it turns out he's a pretty darn good outfielder. He's an excellent home run hitter, and he's definitely he's the best hitter in the Yankees right now, and he's on the IL right now, it happens to be, but he's still <laughs> he had a big toe injury. Uh, but he's still the best hitter in the Yankees, and he'll be back and he'll be able to help them. But yeah, that so they're they're able to do that. Um, the other team that, and it pains me to say this, the other team that's doing this very, very well right now is the Houston Astros. Very young team. Jeremy Pena last year, excellent shortstop, uh, very exciting player. And so if you can find that, you know, nice balance of making a splash in the free agency, willing to take a risk, signing the team-friendly contract and bringing up the talent and hitting the mark, you can be successful for a long time. And I think the other part of that equation for Atlanta specifically is the buy-in from these young guys when they know they can hit the market later and possibly get a lot of money. So it's interesting in that regard because I see free agency a lot of times is, and it's like our work if you're promoting somebody. You're promoting somebody for what they're going to do, not what they've already done. Oh, but a lot of people think about, well, what have you done for me now? And I'm going to put you in this position. In baseball or in any sport, Aaron Judge hits the market. He's got that body of work you talked about. But then you have to ask yourself, well, with the money that we're going to sign him to, is he going to do that into the future? That's the risk part. So the Braves have basically hedged their bets and said, we're going to get these guys early, hope that they're only going to ascend because a lot of these guys are still just hitting their prime or are on the fringes having yeah. just started their they're, prime. They're in their prime, yeah. Which has to piss off everybody in the NL East because as oh, you yeah. said, they're going to be there for a while and they don't really have to dip into the big time funds to get a guy, right? They can lose a Freddie Freeman after winning the World Series and be sad about it because he's the hometown guy. You don't want to lose him. And the next person up, they've got people to sort of fill the roles to the point that they're a great baseball team this Absolutely. year. Right? Yep. And that's the other part that's, fascinating because it doesn't happen very often a lot of times they do wait because they want that control but why aren't other teams doing that and i guess as you pointed out the the astros are doing it which makes their cheating scandal even more sad because they don't have to they have a savvy front office it and does that's, that's the key <laughs> but that's the key man that's what you need because if you want to be sustainable and it seems like a lot of these small market teams have ownership that has just re reserved themselves to the idea that well we'll never compete so why even try and that's the wrong attitude, in my opinion. That's what I was so upset about last time that you're like, well, it is what it is. I'm like, no, I don't want that. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit out of your control. I I, I mean, we're, I think we were talking about the Pirates last time. Is that right? So the Pirates just the and I think you can throw the Guardians in there a little bit. They've done better but the Cleveland Guardians, uh, kind of similar. Um, they just routinely their ownership will routinely not spend money and they're going to have um, guys come in and then they're I, I think like for instance um, the Guardians are actually a pretty decent team this year they're not in first place but the the AL Central is pretty wide open the Twins are in first I think right now but the they've got a decent I mean every pitcher that comes up in that system their their, uh, their farm system and their coaching staff must needs a raise because every pitcher that comes out of Cleveland is lights out so Shane Bieber's going to be eligible as a free agent soon and he he the Cleveland Indians, they, I mean, the Guardians, they might be sellers. They might get rid of Bieber. They're not going to sign him. And then they've got the next guy up, and that's it. And they actually, and they traded away um, Lindor to the Mets. And they got a young uh, Jimenez, who was a, play, a postseason rock star last year, did very well, um, and a handful of other players that are potentially. So that that's their formula. It's working for them. Um, but if I'm a Cleveland Guardians fan, I'm, I'm waiting for them to uh, sign. And they and I have to say they did sign Jose Ramirez. OK, so they got their one guy. 
Um, and he's he's pretty darn good. Yeah, so, he's real good. Um, pirates, though, they're just not as savvy, and their and their farm system is routinely uh, really terrible. How many? Think about who came out of that system. Uh, Garrett Cole came out of that system. Pretty good. Uh, Joe Joe Musgrove. Uh, he plays for the Padres now. Pretty darn good now. It's they got good when they left Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, it's just not working. Well, some of that could just be environment. When you're playing for a team that's perpetually bad. It's difficult to give your all. But I just want to say for everybody, when you say the AL Central is wide open, you mean it's mediocre because the Red Sox are in last place in the AL East. They'd be in first place in the AL, in the AL Central. And <laughs> exactly. wide open is a nice way to say they're mediocre. Now, we yeah, talked about these short windows of winning, and you mentioned a couple times about a lot of guys leaving clubs. So July 31st, I believe, is the non-waiver trade deadline, right? I think that's the one everybody focuses on because – you don't have to clear waivers first. And that's for anybody listening who isn't familiar with some of the lingo. But I think it's July 31st is usually the the date that everybody pencils in for the trade deadline in baseball. And that's coming up. I mean, it's June 21st. So teams are thinking about that now and possibly trying to get ahead without having to overpay as you get closer to that deadline. So in your mind, who are some buyers and who are some sellers as of today? This, like I like I mentioned earlier, this year has been really a roller coaster. And for it's usually comes the most interesting teams that it comes down to are the teams that kind of weren't expecting to be in the mix, and now they are. So uh, the Diamondbacks are in the first place in the NL West. There, if you look at their lineup and if you look at their rotation, it's it, it's good, but it it's got some pieces where it could be better. I would, if I'm a Diamondbacks front office person, I'm I'm going out and getting somebody. Uh, they've got Zach Gallen, they've got Gurriel. Um, you know, I can't I can't even tell you who's on their lineup. I mean, there's no real stars on the team, but they're getting it done uh, with the young talent that they have. Um, the Reds are another interesting team, where they've got a they've got a roster full of young players. They're in first place. They've won I think 11 straight as of today, yes. And they're in for, and they just and the Pirates we talked about were a month ago. So if you turn your head for 2 weeks, not pay attention, look back at the standings, all of a sudden it's a different story. So what that tells me is um, you're going to have what we talk about today. It's going to go right up to the wire. The Reds could be completely out of it. I love the Reds. They're a great feel good story this year. Fun team to watch. It's going to it's just going to depend on if they can make it to that July 31st deadline. The grind is hard. And we talked about that last time about the COVID shortened season allowed teams like the Marlins to have a shorter sample size. It was like a sprint rather than a marathon. And we're still only two months into the season, man. Like, we still got three months to go before the playoffs start. But any sellers that you are just 100% clear sellers as of right now, and not the Oakland A's, because I don't think there's anybody that anybody wants. The clear sellers are going to be the teams that are, I think, um, in the basement of their um, respective uh, divisions. Colorado, um, Kansas City, the White Sox have a ton of talent that's um, available and, and going toward free agency. I feel like the whole team is available. Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, um, a couple other pitchers. Uh, oh, um, yes, Manny Grendel, the catcher. What about Mankata? I'm not sure about Mankata's contract, but yeah, he's a player that just never panned out. Um, young, huge, young talent, um, hype, lots of hype. Yep. Didn't ever pan Everybody out. Everybody was like, how could you trade this guy? And I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> the Cardinals uh, might be sellers. But the interesting thing is um, last year, the the Orioles, who 
the record the record was awful. It came to the dead uh, the cherry deadline, and they were sellers. Um, the te- I think the team was starting to gel a little bit. They were starting to show, but they the ownership decided, hey, we're going to still get rid of uh, or or sell Mancini. They did. Mancini went to Houston, and they got some talent back from them. And the Orioles responded. They actually performed better after they became sellers, and it became a question of, hey, could we have done better if they're buyers? Fast forward to this year. Now the Orioles are in second place. They've been legit all year, and it would be a shock to me if they didn't make the playoffs. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch right now. Um, And yes, absolutely, they're going to be buyers. I mean, they're an exciting team. So it's really interesting to see the buying and selling decision. It doesn't always mean if you're a seller, you could could do a little uh, addition by subtraction. You're actually improving your team by getting rid of somebody that's not contributing very much. I firmly believe in that. And I think that it's not done enough where you just kind of get rid of a guy. And it's a, not, I don't want to say a locker room cancer because it's not always that, but it's sometimes a guy who maybe isn't fitting into, you could have eight guys in a lineup who are all killing it. And this one person just doesn't fit that mold. But when I look at the standings, Price I think Harper? about, yeah, well, <laughs> no, they, they went to a World Series last year. That's That's hard to say. And he got hurt. I mean, no, 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 no. For the Nationals. Oh, the Nationals. I was like, when he left, they actually won the World Series. They did. I mean, and some of that, again, maybe was a, was a fit thing. But I look at the standings right now, and you talked about the Reds. I look at the Marlins. These are teams, I think, that aren't usually where they are at this point in the season. And the trade deadline is a really, really scary proposition for them because can they get to July 31st? And the scary proposition, if you're a fan, is what if they do? Because now they have a choice to make. They either stand pat and say, this isn't our year. We're going to see what we have and hope that we can get better next year with all this experience that we're gaining, or they get aggressive. And it brings back Cliff Floyd to the Expos, like I mentioned last time, where it's like you go all in. If you don't make it and the team falters, it's basically back to rebuild again. That's the scary part about the trade deadline. scary, yeah. And you mentioned it earlier on the show. Um, if you're a small market team, that window is smaller. The window for rebuilding, the window for championship is smaller. The Marlins have done it twice they have. in the past 20 years. Now, they bought one of them because they had a lot of talent, I think, on the 97 team. And then the next one was the real aberration because they had a young Miguel Cabrera, a young Josh Beckett, tons of young talent on that team. And that came out of nowhere. I mean, they beat a Yankees dynasty at that point. And that was just incredible. I, I think even the the Marlins execs wouldn't have told you that they thought they had a chance that year. And honestly, it was one of the most fun World Series runs to watch, if yeah, I'm being it, honest. It was. Yeah, it was just because it was so unpredictable. And, yes. and their run this year is extremely unpredictable. No one could have told me that the Marlins would be in second place this year and becoming buyers this year. And And, and it does happen. But you're right. When they take that free agent splash, it's a big risk. Um, I mentioned Tim Anderson. I, I don't. I couldn't tell you if the Marlins are in the market for a shortstop, but Tim Anderson um, has had a great has had a great young and short career uh, for the White Sox. He got he injured his ankle this year. He had a great start, injured his ankle, and then he just hasn't been the same. He's going to be a free agent. Um, do I do I actually want to take a risk on this guy? And how much am I willing to? to part with and is it going to be uh, do you just rent the guy for the rest of the season maybe that's a little bit lower risk yeah but also maybe you 
you take that risk and hope that, okay, you know, you produced enough here, but you can sign them. I don't want to say on the cheap because nothing's cheap in baseball anymore, but you get a guy like him maybe for that quote unquote hometown discount instead of hitting the big free agent contract that a guy like him a couple years ago, if that trajectory continued, he might've actually been in line for not an Aaron Judge type contract, but a pretty big numbers for a guy like him. You get a young shortstop who can produce, that's always going to bring the the dollars to the table. So if you're the Marlins, obviously the White Sox are not going to get rid of him for nothing, but he's a player, and I want to ask you about this too. He's always sort of had this weird relationship in Chicago, and it was the Tony LaRusa thing because Tony LaRusa was an old man trying to coach young people completely out of touch. That was like a that was a bad ma- it's a match. disaster. <laughs> Why did he go there? It's funny because Buck Showalter is in New York right now, right? Mm-hmm. Is this his second year with the team? Mm, second or third, I think. Second or third, third, yeah. So it's funny how that works, right? Because Buck Showalter comes in, they have a turnaround. They just lost their 40th game this year. Last year, they didn't lose it until much later in the season. And Buck Showalter doesn't get the same treatment because I think Buck Showalter is an old guy, but has the ability to massage his old ways with younger players. I don't understand how anybody thought Tony Russo was going to change one iota about anything that he did. And he didn't at all. They were successful in spite of him. It was weird, too, because of the whole, uh, he was a St. Louis Cardinals uh, icon legend. Hall of Famer. And then comes to the south side of Chicago. And and the Cubs, they they don't care for the Cardinals very much. <laughs> so to, to make an understatement there. Um, so it just wasn't a good mix, not to mention he was a little bit old. And he was coming off of a, a time when he, I think that, what year was that? Was that the year where he's coming off of his last year in St. Louis, won the World Series and then left and it was surprise uh, hire at the White Sox? He could have, what I'm saying is he could have ended his career and, and just finished it with an exclamation point and been done. I believe that he retired, was eligible for the Hall of Fame, made the Hall of Fame, and then the White Sox hired him. Like that's how long it has been since Tony La Russa has been an active manager in the major leagues. And they hired him to to navigate the ship of this super young and exciting team. Like two years ago, the White Sox were exciting and they never lived up to that potential because they had the wrong guy at the helm. And these are the types of decisions that these front offices make that don't make sense. But trade deadline stuff. And we talked about sustainability and rebuilding and all that stuff. The trade deadline to me comes with an even another unknown in the fact that a lot of times you're not trading guys straight up, right? You're not getting superstar for superstar. It's always the prospects, the minor league guys that are coming up. Those are always the biggest hang up in these deals. When you hear about, oh, they didn't want to give up this guy, but they gave up this guy. And I find this to be, unless you know, right, there's not many guys that are can't miss in the minor leagues. Like you kind of know they have a trajectory, but you're not sure because so many things happen between getting drafted and making the major league club. Even Bryce Harper went to the major leagues. He's got to perform in the major league. So it's way different, right? It's not like in the NFL where you go straight to the team and you get your chance to produce. But I feel like they're like draft picks that haven't been drafted yet where it's like, oh my gosh, they give up a third round pick. How do you know that's going to even work out? Whereas these prospects, sometimes you kind of hope, like the single A guy. Oh, next big. It's a lottery ticket yes. a little bit. Yeah. And But you're, you're, you're mostly paying that currency to get these guys in. And you're overpaying at the deadline because the teams that are sellers are selling to teams that you know they yeah. need this. Do you want to talk about Otani yet? I do. <laughs> because now we can talk about, because the Angels, 
they don't just need a couple lottery tickets. They need uh, an entire team of lottery tickets. Um, they, I, I really hope that they get something for Otani uh, because they are in trouble. Um, I, they've actually performed better than I expected them to do this year. Um, Mike Trout is having a very good year, but I think I saw on social media how he's having the uh, one of the worst years of his career, which is still he's on pace for like 35 home runs or more. He's doing well, uh, but but maybe not the Mike Trout that we're um, used to seeing. And he and he has a huge contract extension, but he's got no support in a team in a team game. Oh, this is so triggering for me. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I need to tell you that Mike Trout has been my favorite baseball player since he burst onto the scene. Exciting to watch, plays the game, quote unquote, the right way. I mean, I don't say that as in if you're flashy, you're not playing it the right way. But there's something about him that gave me the feels of a guy that played 50, 60 years ago. Comes to the Comes to the yard, does his job, does everything well. And the Angels are so frustrating because... And man, this is this is really triggering because you're at the trade deadline and you have two generational talents, right? I'm not overstating that when I say that. Mike Trout is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to walk into the Hall of Fame easily. Like there's no debate. And anybody who thinks that you're so full of shit, sorry, but it's true. Otani, I understand a lot of people had hesitancy over whether his game was going to translate to the Americanized game, right? Because it happens. There are tons of guys, okay? There's a lot of, there's a there's a large a large enough sample size, Daisuke Matsuzaka, I'm looking at you, who have come here and not lived up to the expectations. Japanese players particularly. Yes, that's what I mean. Shohei Otani is not that. He has delivered and he's changed the game. He's bringing people to the television screens to watch this guy, right? And he doesn't even have the kind of charisma that other guys have. He does the he plays the game the same way that Mike Trout does. The Angels have had these two guys on the same team. They haven't just had these guys over the course of 20 years separated on the same team, and they can't even make the wild card. Do you know how frustrating that is to watch baseball and think no team has that much talent on their team at one time almost ever, and almost every team that's had it has won? This is so, it's offensive to baseball. And it's offensive to these guys. And I feel like Mike Trout has taken less and put up with so much more crap where he could have won a World Series. And I don't I don't know if it's that he doesn't want it or what, but like, why? Why would you sit there through that mediocre crap? He has nine postseason at-bats. Nine! And we got a little taste of it in the World Baseball Classic where he is actually playing in the championship yes! game. Where we're like, I've been waiting to see him in the spotlight in a big championship game for they so They faced each other. It was one of the most exciting things to happen in baseball in like 20 years. And it delivered. And Otani struck him out. Yes. <laughs> and he and never strikes out. <laughs> Otani pl- played in every game in the World Baseball Classic and won his country, the World Baseball Classic. And you have this guy and you've produced nothing. John, how does that happen? No, I'm serious. How does that happen? It's kind of a weird thing. I with the with the Japanese player coming over, like you mentioned, Dice K. Um, there's a, there's there's been a couple Japanese players that have come over where they they don't they don't exactly produce. Um, I feel like Otani coming to the Angels was almost like a like testing the waters. Okay, it's a small market team. 
they they all they had is Mike Trout, and they had they had a little bit of money. The owner's willing to spend. Uh, they haven't done a very good job. The rotation's not very good, even with Otani in the rotation. Um, but it he was is the rotation. I mean, it, it seems like it. Uh, but even so, like he's just not able to get it done. And you'll you'll see uh, wasted home runs. Um, Trout hit a home run, they'll lose. Tani hits a home run, they lose. And they they try, and we've never seen them in the postseason. It's really sad. They're playing on the West Coast, which makes it even more frustrating for us on the East Coast trying to watch this great, this you know, these two generational players, and we can't do it. And and I feel like I think we are going to see Otani win a win a World Series, but it's you know, now is the time. He's he's proven that he can stick around in the U.S. market. I'm not sure what to say about Trout. I'm really sorry about that, man. No, I agree. I was actually just just thinking in my head that he's Otani still is ascending. Mike Trout is on the t- is on the downward spiral in, in the way that he downward spirals. Like I wish that m- the end of my career could be 35 home runs and 100 RBI. It's a but- travesty to 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 see these guys have uh, like Trout specifically is a little bit sad because. I, I think everybody actually wants to see him perform in the postseason with a team around him, and he's actually yes. celebrating and winning and doing something special in the postseason because that's where it really matters. And I'm not sure if we're going to ever see it. But he but let me tell you this. Okay, one more point about Mike Trout. I need it. I mean, he accepted that he accepted that extension. Of course, the Angels have been poor performing for years, and he 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 made he he signed that contract. And said, yes, I'm going to sign with a team that is a poor performing team. Yes, it was a lot of money. Yes, it's nice to stick around on one team forever. But it wasn't, the, it, it's it's not what the fans wanted to see at the end of the day. I wonder, and this is a larger question, and if you are watching or listening, the number to give us your opinion on this is 7037186314. But Mike Trout's legacy, because baseball and, and sports in general, legacy matters. We both know. And a lot of people know that Mike Trout is is one of the greatest players to ever play. But I think that sticking around on a team that has been perpetually bad hurts his legacy, as much as it pains me to say that. I don't think in today's game, guys get a pass anymore. Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn, guys that stayed with their clubs a long time, they got a pass. Tony Gwynn eventually went to a World Series, right? So it's just different now. We as fans, and I say we, not necessarily us included in that, but we expect results. We expect these guys to want to win. And Mike Trout, as you said it, he signed on the dotted line, never asked for a trade, never got frustrated, openly frustrated. I have to question whether Mike Trout really cared about winning a World Series. And I'm not saying he has to, but if you're talking about long-lasting legacy, if Otani wins a World Series... He's going to have a better legacy than Mike Trout, hundred percent. Ooh, that's a spicy one. Yeah, I agree with that. If Otani leaves and wins, he's going to end up having a greater. But I, it's almost unfair. I mean that that that's because we we all have heard Mike Trout is going to be is the best. He's breaking records. He's twenty. He's only twenty. What I don't know how old he is now. Twenty five, but he was already on track. To wit, to break every record there was, and now Otani's here, and they're the two best team. They're the two best players of all time. Yes, <laughs> they're Almost. on this team that's not performing. And yeah, I, I agree. I think Otani will end up being the better player. I, I just feel like championships matter, and if you ask a lot of players in a lot of sports, 
what would you rather have? Five less years of your career or one World Series? A lot of players would take the World Series or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup. I mean, ask a guy like Calvin Johnson, played for the Lions his whole career, didn't win a thing, right? First ballot Hall of Famer, great receiver, didn't win a thing. Julian Edelman, nobody's going to remember him in 20 years, three-time Super Bowl champion. I would much rather have that than anything else. And Mike Trout is going to be a Hall of Famer, and we're going to be sitting, you and I, five years after he is has retired and he's at the Hall of Fame speech, when hopefully we're doing the show from the Hall of Fame, we're going to ask ourselves that same question because he's running out of time to do that. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of teams are going to overpay to get him right now because he's the injury risk. Well, yeah. But if you're a team right now and you can give everything, you take your entire farm system, I will, I will give it all. I'll have nobody in single A, double A, and triple A just to get Otani on my team. I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, there it is. So if you're a Mets, so if you're a Mets fan, do it. Go. And do it. I mean, they've got the money they're they're willing to spend. They've got all of the farm system that I talked about yes. earlier. They've got do it. Young players, go ahead and 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 trade it all for that one. Because player. Yeah. if you're a hot, big market team and you can take the risk of not only trading for him but knowing that you have a chance to sign him. It's worth it. It's worth it just being in the discussion of can you have this guy? He's There's not going to be a player like him to come around maybe ever. Maybe ever. And all these guys are going to try to do the two-way thing. It's it's different. There, there's something about the way he is doing it that is it's, it's breathtaking. And he can play till he's 40. I think. He can play beyond 40 yes. if he wanted to. It, it is set up for him to be just like your son is going to have seen the greatest player to ever play. And you and I got to see some pretty damn good players growing up. Damn good players, right? Like you think about the, it's a veritable who's who of Hall of Famers that we got to watch from start to finish. And he's going to beat us anyway because the best player ever made is going to have played in his lifetime. And it, that's exciting, but also frustrating. But the Angels, right? <laughs> so why can't they get it right is the larger question. What is it about the rest of the team that doesn't work? Because obviously... They hit a home run with getting Trout in the first place, right? And then being able to pay for Otani. So the will is there, but what's up? With, they get Rendon, who stinks. Rendon, Rendon is bad. Stinks. He's also been injury prone. Remember Alex, uh, Al, Albert Pujols was yes. pretty yes. terrible for them, and they signed him for big money. I feel like every signing they have is, um, is, is bad. Is bad. It's, there's a little bit of bad luck there. Uh, but it's, it, but they're, they're not, I don't see them really developing anybody that's, coming out and saying, oh, this guy's great, and then actually performs and, and hits the ground running. No, I don't Are see Are they it. hoping, though, that these two guys will somehow carry the, the team and the franchise to bigger and better things? Is that is that what it is? I think that is the hope. It, it's, it's, it's a fool's hope. It's a, it's a fool's hope. They're not going to be able to do it. They have proven that they can't do it for years and years and years. <laughs> I don't know how. They, they did win the World Series um, pre-Mike Trout. Where you actually saw, remember the rally monkey uh, back in 2002. Barry Bonds yeah. and the Giants had the 3-2 yeah. lead. And, in and, we ha and we literally haven't seen anything from that team since that year. And and that's with Mike Trout. So I can't explain it. In the time that they've won the World Series, the White Sox, the Cubs, and the Red Sox have all broken near 100 or surpassed 100-year streaks. So Angels fans, you've had the two best players in our lifetime and nothing, nothing. God, that is so frustrating. So I just heard a, um, a like a stat um, that the the athletic pulled 100 players in the MLB 
asking, where do you think Otani will land? What MLB team will he land with? And over 50%, the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is really nearby, has the money to spend, has the pedigree. He could win a World Series with the oh, Dodgers. Yes, he, th- there's probably a handful of teams he could win a World Series with. Like, you, you insert him on a lot of these teams. Even if you insert him on the Red Sox right now, they probably would be a better club. Because they're, what, just above 500, and their pitching is their problem. So all of a sudden, you put a guy in there who at least once every five games, you can get a solid, consistent start out of. And, oh, by the way, he contributes with the bat, too. So you get even added bonus of that. How many teams couldn't use that? I mean, really. Imagine if Otani played for the Marlins right now or the Reds. These are teams that are winning with less than what the Angels have. Any team. It's amazing. He'd look good in Philly's pinstripes, by the way. I just want to put that out there. Oh, Oh, yeah. I thought I actually thought Mike Trout would look good at Philly's pinstripes a couple years ago when before he signed with the Angels. I really wanted he him. should have. And like, and then that was the thing, right? And that, and that's where we come down to players today in free agency being that blessing and a curse. And Mike Trout could have and probably should have tested free agency because he might have been in a better situation. And I think he took the easy route by signing the extension. And maybe it's some sort of the other thing about Mike Trout is maybe he was under the impression that they would do more. And they haven't done more. And so there's a trust factor for him. And there's something to be said about that. It seemed like I was really hard on Mike Trout for taking that deal and and everything. But I hope hope everybody knows that, like, my respect for him as a baseball player, like my favorite Mike Trout stat before we move on to your segment, is in four straight All-Star games. He led off or played in the All-Star game, started the All-Star game four years in a row. I can't remember what years they were. But in each of those All-Star games, he had hit for the cycle over the course of those four years. So he had a single, double, triple, and a home run in all in his at-bats in four straight World Series, something like that. And I just remember it was like 2018, 2017 maybe, where he led off the World Series with a triple. And I'm like, my God, I love this guy. Like he leads off the All-Star game with a triple, which is like the most rare hit in all of the game. And you know what? Mike Trout just leads off the All-Star game. The crazy part is, is how, how big he is of a player. He's so fast and he's so aggressive. <laughs> Every time I see it, it kind of blows my mind. And he plays center field. I don't know if he still does Big or not. regret, I did not go to see him play when they came around to the D.C. area. And I really should have. Boy, that was, that was heated. I was a little bit emotional. So I think we need to take it back a little bit. So you're a big fantasy baseball guy. Yeah, I am. Admittedly, I am not. And so we have added a little bit of a segment here that I'm calling Jonesy's Fantasy Minute. It's going to be longer than a minute, folks, but it sounds catchy and it's great. So I want to open up the floor to you. First of all, I want you to plug your league because you've told me about this league and we're all about that kind of personal connection. So take some time out to talk about that. Some of the top players right now, whether they're on your team or not, um, some potential pickups for the summer, maybe. This is not gambling advice. This is just your personal opinion of, hey, this guy's really killing it. Might be a great addition if you need a bench guy. And then any fun tidbits that you might have about fantasy baseball, because I know next to nothing about it because it's been so long since I've done it. So Jonesy's Fantasy Minute, it is yours, my friend. Well, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I do have to plug my fantasy league. It is uh, Howdy Hooker Baseball, which... (laughs) I've been a part of for about 10 years. The name actually, uh, I don't believe it means anything. It's just kind of a catchy, uh, it's just a kind of catchy inside joke. Uh, But yeah, it's, I've been playing for many, many years. It keeps me engaged in the sport. It keeps me having a sense of ownership and players so I can kind of, kind of spread my baseball love all over the league. 
follow certain aspects of the game, but it also allows me to kind of crack the code on winning myself, uh, which is a little bit, um, I mean, the whole concept is a bit nerdy, geeky, whatever you want to say, but it's, it's a hobby. It's fun. And it does allow me to try to be a baseball manager in some respects. So the key to, to, um, my love of the game is, um, keeping the league interesting, um, our, we have a great league with a lot of baseball knowledge in our league. Um, and we have kind of unique categories we went, uh, we play with. So there's a lot of different ways to play fantasy baseball. The way that we play, um, is seven batting categories, uh, seven pitching categories. Uh, we, instead of saves, we use saves plus holds, which we believe is kind of the save has kind of been, uh, has been going away a little bit more in recent years as baseball's evolved. Uh, we use other pitching stats like uh, strikeout per walk as a ratio for a category, which I think is a lot of fun and in a, in a, in a telling metric in a pitcher. Uh, also, strikeout per nine innings instead of just counting stats of strikeouts where you can plug in a player um, continuously and just rack up strikeouts. So it makes you think it's a little bit more strategic. So it's it's catered toward... Uh, more a smarter way to play instead of in, instead of catered toward hey the person that pays attention the most is actually going to win which I like so you can you can um, kind of plug guys in as you go if you're not paying attention for a week you're not going to lose uh, you play you just plug in your daily guy so we play a daily lineup uh, we play a 22 week season it's a 10 team league which uh, keeps it fun. Uh, my, my players, I had a really rough start this year. My players, I, I, I love Matt Olson. I've been drafting Matt Olson for years and might continue to do so when he's having a heck of a year. He's mashing this year, which is a lot of fun. I hate that he's on the Braves, but hey, I've been drafting him since he's been Oakland. I like the player. Um, Adolis Garcia with the Rangers, very, very talented young player. Um, and outfielder um and he's one of the main reasons why the rangers are so good this year love adolis garcia um and the other player uh fernando tatis uh, i uh, i drafted him last year kept him this year um last year was an absolute train wreck because he was <laughs> injured couldn't get back then got nailed for uh, taking some kind of steroid cream yeah. got in a motorcycle accident prior to the season that's why he required surgery it was a complete mess um, and the Padres couldn't have been happy about that either. But this year came back, and he's been absolutely crushing. You gotta love that. And the pot. Speaking of the Padres, um, that that's a story in itself. They are just collapsing right now. Uh, that that division is looking uh, really good for teams like the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Dodgers, and the Padres. Can they make it back? That that's really going to be a story this Padres year. Padres and Mets spent the most money of everybody. Not too much to show for it. So no, that. it's been. Exactly. That's that's the fun of the sport. Um, and the uh, the last player that I love, again, on a team that I just do not like, the Houston Astros, but I do have Framber Valdez, who is absolutely zoned in this year as a pitcher. And uh, so I'm in the middle of the pack. I'm having a good time with it. Um, top players of the year, uh, number one, Ronald Acuna. Uh, with the Braves, my boy, yeah, my boy. <laughs> uh, actually, I drafted him when he was a rookie and uh, traded him for I feel like peanuts. Ended up losing that year, and then the guy I traded him actually kept him for years and years, and it was so sad. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of became well known for bad trades for a while. <laughs> um, uh, the one surprise, I guess I, the biggest surprise I have to mention because he's such an exciting player. He's a rookie this year. Uh, he guar- almost can guarantee he's going to win rookie of the year. Corbin Carroll with the Diamondbacks. Oh, he is just he's so he's a he's a rookie like I mentioned. Came into the league. Um, fantasy fantasy circles know about him. He would steal you a lot of bases. But not only that, he's crushing the ball for his size. You know, he doesn't have the high home run total, but absolutely just mashes the ball. If you can watch highlights of this guy, it's actually fantastic to watch. Check out Corbin Carroll. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I could talk. I could probably talk for another. Ten minutes about about this topic, but I'll let I'll let that the fantasy minute, John. Like, let's just keep that in mind. But so, what was it again? The happy hookers? No, it was no oh, howdy hooker. Happy howdy. Well, well, they might be happy. Yeah, hopefully, right? I mean, that's the hope. <laughs> is it uh, is it mixed gender? Is it just all dudes? Like all guys? All yep. dudes. All right. Well, fellas, anytime you want to come on and talk fantasy baseball, this oh, is obviously do. a forum for that. And uh, if you guys shared this video, it'd be make my day. So the fantasy minute is over. Well, I always had a little bit of a thing that I wanted to do. We did a play of the episode last time. I call it the play of the month, but that's assuming that we can get this every month. I don't want to overcommit. But you brought up a good play this week that's not even a play on the field. And it's the Oakland Athletics fans doing their what they called a reverse boycott, in which from what I understand, they decided we're going to stick it to the owners and spend a boatload of money and go to one game and show them that there are fans to be had here only for the ownership to then donate all of that money to charity in what had to be like a damn they over that we overplayed our hand and the team has plummeted and lost seven straight or six straight or something like that and i think they are like 19 and 56 or whatever their record is do you think that that actually worked it was kind of fun uh it got people to the ballpark which i think is always good um and oakland they've had poor attendance for years and years and years they've had they have a now they have a terrible stadium which you know is the reason why i think the owner they've got they're getting a very good deal in las vegas i think the fully funded stadium uh it's gonna it's gonna be (laughs) a huge coliseum as you know it and so that's that's what the owner is going for um, not only that, but geographically, Oakland is really close to San Francisco and they have to compete with the Giants all the time. So it's just, I mean, it, it's kind of sad. I like Oakland. I always have. I liked when Matt Olson was on Oakland, Matt Chapman. They had some really good players. They competed. It's, uh, you know, Billy Bean's team when he, when he in, invented Moneyball. And I really like Oakland, but they, their attendance is poor. Um, I liked the idea of the reverse boycott and it did kind of work they they went on a little win streak there but they went back to being mediocre it was fun while it lasted um but yeah like i said in in the last show oakland ownership and and managers and coaches really need to step up if they're going to move to las vegas uh they they really need to show that they deserve the new stadium the new team it's so yeah i I like the reverse boycott It, it i don't think it worked but you know, so be it. Some of the fans wanted to keep their team there. Yeah. Um, they didn't. I don't think they showed up very well this week. So I, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Last week on Iceman and Coach, the main show, Coach kind of went in on that a little bit and said, "I think it was since 2000 they've made the playoffs more than 50 percent of the time." 
And so if your team is making the playoffs at a 50% or more clip and you're not showing up, then what are they supposed to do? Now, ownership, honestly, has a lot of its faults, and we know that. But the fans not coming to the games is going to always be the thing that ownership points to when they want to do something or they don't spend money. And you have to show up, even if the team is bad. That's how you really show up, consistently show up. Yeah, yeah, I agree but with you that. But you know what I'm talking yeah. about, though? Like, ownership's always going to point to that. Winning is always going to put... Of course it is. You know, people in the seats. It is. But there are a lot of franchises overall of sports. Detroit Lions fans, Cleveland Brown fans, Buffalo Bills fans, they still show up whether the team is good or not, you know? And, and then you reward those fans with winning. And that's kind of what I think would have helped that situation. But it is what it is. The ship has sailed. They'll be in Vegas. However, I will say this. There's a lot of pressure on them now because the Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup says, hey, we're only six years old and we just won our biggest prize. So you can't come here and be terrible. Like they've set that bar very, very high. And it will be interesting to see how that works out. I'll be interested more in the name of the team, the uniforms and all that stuff. So something for us to watch. So this is another INC sports thing. We got other things going with the cornermen, obviously, which is a boxing thing. Uh, reading the defense, which is some football. That's with my brother-in-law, Mike. We're putting that out a little bit later in this week, whenever this is coming out. And then, of course, we have the I, the Iceman and Coach main show, which we do every single week with Coach. Now, we're not always available because we have lives and kids and all that. So that's why we have little things like this to fill the gap and have some other fun personalities coming in. So just support all of that stuff. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Do not forget to call in, whether you're listening or watching, 703-718-6314 is the number to give us your takes. Make sure that you let us know where you're from. We'd love to read some of these things on the air. We've gotten some interesting text messages when we've gotten things wrong. So positive and negative vibes are always welcome. <laughs> Social media, Twitter and Instagram at Iceman and Coach is the handle on both Instagram and Twitter, of course. Maddie Ice Media Network. Don't forget to visit MaddieIceMedia.com to find this show, Iceman and Coach, Fire Footwear, Political Football, all the other things that we got going on. John, it was great to have you in the studio. Do you have any parting thoughts for our loyal fans? I'm so glad that you, you had me back. That's all I have, but I have to say, that's baseball, baby. And there you go. This is Flashing the Leather. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty S Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.